0: Storehouse Dallas. I am finishing my, uh, this is my second installment and the last, there were only two, on the leadership of the life of David. Uh, Last week, we really talked about the leadership of David up to the point where he became king. And so it was everything that David was before he had a title, don't you know it's easy to be a leader when you have a title, right? It's like, I'm the boss. Oh, Cinco de Mayo, I'm the jefe, right? I'm the one in charge, and, but, but, but when you don't have a title, it's very interesting to, 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 um, to lead in that place. True leadership happens and develops in the area where you don't have a title. You know, um, I used to be in the marketplace and I would go into these big corporations uh, like Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, Pepsi, and and we would be in these uh, meetings with with probably 20 people. And you would have the guy that had the, you know, the title and then you could see who the actual leader was in the room because it wasn't always the guy with the title. It was the one that everybody followed and the one who, when they spoke, everybody stopped and listened to and agreed with. I'm just saying. And so David displayed and he grew in his leadership. It was just so beautiful before um, he became a uh, king. Um, and this morning, what I wanted to do, and you can go back and look. I think there were like a list of what was it, seven. I kind of lost count. It was a little, it was a little on, uh, you know. You'd think I'd put it down like one, two, three, but I started counting when I was up here. Anyway, you can go check it out. There are about six leadership qualities that he had. It's good to study this out because he was one of the greatest leaders, biblical leaders that there were. And we knew we know that because of the fruit of his leadership produced uh, uh, Israel's, what they call Israel's golden years, where the enemy on every side was defeated, and they were in the golden years, the most prosperous time that they've ever had, and they all lived in peace. And so I want to, this morning, I want to revisit one of the leadership qualities Um, which is a Davidic leadership is not presumptive. This is going to be our first leadership quality, and I want to review from last week because I feel like it's probably one of David's most primary uh, qualities that helped him to be successful. And so I want to talk to you about that because I believe that that has something to do with how we live and how we grow. Um, there's a couple of examples of leaders, and I was asking the Lord this this week, and I started asking questions. Okay, can you just settle down right over there? I feel like you guys, it's so cute. Y'all are in high school. You're like passing notes and everything. Um, So there are a couple of... I was asking the Lord this week, let me back up, because one of the things that that we get a promise from the Lord. We have a destiny in God and all of these things. And, and especially being charismatics and, and being a prophetic people, we get a word and then we, that word is, is, um, we get that word over and over and over. And so we know that it's, it's a, it's a mandate and a call for our lives. And so a lot of times we're like, um, wanting to jump in and help God out. Right. And so we want to run to the battle, which is good because we have the zeal, but a lot of times we'll miss God and we end up hurting ourselves and and end up causing a lot more problems than solutions. And so a couple of those in the Bible that the Lord showed me this week uh, was Moses who had the prophetic promise, but what he did is he got the word But then he himself presumed on how to fulfill the word, and he began to try to fulfill the word in his own strength. And so he wasn't like David. David was not presumptive. He inquired upon the Lord. He got the what, but he also inquired upon the Lord about the how. So Moses got the word, but he he took it upon himself to go out and to do it in his own strength, and He ends up killing an Egyptian soldier and and ended up on the, the backside of the desert, you know, tending sheep for a very long time. Now, it's not that he was disqualified, but he was just needed a big old God lesson in the desert, and so in order for us not to spend any time in the desert, it would be good for us to learn from from their mistakes. The other was Joseph, who um, you know he got the promise not just once but twice. He got the promise, and what does he do? Immediately, without inquiring upon the Lord, what do you want me to do with this dream that you gave me? He goes and spills to his brothers, who already don't like him. And then he went and told them, I'm going to be boss of you. You're going to bow to me. Probably not a whole lot of wisdom there, and so again he ends up on the backside of the wilderness and goes into a pit. And it's not until he gets out of that place that he ends up fulfilling the promise. Now both Moses and Joseph fulfilled the promise, but 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 when the when the promise came, because they were they were um, presumptive and they got into presumption about well I got the word, therefore I'm a charismatic. I'm a charismatic, I can hear God, that's all I need, but but David and the life of David was so amazing, because his leadership operated in kingdom and supernatural ways, even before the cross, so he tapped into a wisdom that we need to appropriate in our own lives today, he was different than Saul in that Saul, when he heard the word of the Lord from da- from uh, from uh, uh, Samuel, what did he do? He went out and did it in his own strength. He said, I, I need to take care of the people, but yet he didn't do it God's way. He did it the way that the people demanded that he did it. By the way, that won't be happening here. I love you guys, but... We're going to do it God's way. Amen? Amen. All right. In every battle that David was in, he inquired upon the Lord about what to do, even in Ziklag. Now, Ziklag was the last battle that he fought before he became king. Okay, and well, actually, well, what happened is that they just came back from a long series of battles. Now, picture this in your mind. Here he is with his mighty men. He's got his family at Ziklag. He's got all of his stuff at Ziklag. And what happens is, is the um while they're out at battle and they had gone without food, they were exhausted, they were so they were physically, emotionally drained. You know how you get to the end of yourself after a really weary season? Season, and you're like I just don't have anymore I'm at the end of myself I'm at the end of my money I'm at the end of my patience I'm at the end of my time I have no more energy my spirit feels dull uh my soul is weak my I'm fighting in my mind and so there they are you know coming back to see their families and lo and behold the uh amalekites had taken all of their stuff and and their wives and their children and burned everything it's like Uh Uh-oh. So now they're at the end of themselves. They don't even have barely any adrenaline left. So all they do is, at that point, all they can do is cry. Now think about these great men. These men were men of valor. They're called David's mighty men. And here they are beside themselves. These are, they'd waited so long to see their loved ones. And now these, they have been taken captive. And so David, our response would be, let's go get them back. Of course, that's the righteous thing to do. It makes perfect sense. And David was put in additional pressure by his people because it says that they even wanted to stone him. So there he is, not only the guys that he fought with side by side, these are his best friends. These are are his comrades in arms. You don't get closer to a man than when you fight in a battle with him. And then they turn on you, the ones that you love, the ones that you trust to have your back. And they say, let's stone David because he's the leader that got us in this situation. And so their hearts were so weary. But David did this. Second Samuel two one. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not it. So David did this. Um, He said, uh, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? Should I go up and take back everything that's been stolen from us? And, and the Lord said, yes, go, go, and you will be successful. And so he went with the blessings of the Lord. He knew that that's what he was supposed to do. So he pursued him, he overcame, and he, took, he, he got back everything that was stolen. And so it was a short time after that that he, he becomes king because in the same skirmish, in the same battle, um, uh, Saul and Jonathan lost their lives. And so after that happened, you know, you've, you've got a man who was already anointed. David was already anointed by Samuel to be king. And so once Saul fell, he knew that his time, that it was time for him to step into that. Okay. Let's say it's you. And 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 you knew by God that you have been anointed for a certain position at your job or a, a a ministry opportunity that you're supposed to be doing, and the person that's standing in your way, let's say they're it's your boss, and you're supposed the Lord said you're supposed to have that position, and that guy's not a good boss, and he just drives you crazy and hurts your heart, you know, and won't give you a raise, and then the Lord moves him out of the way as he promised promised. promised what do you do do you say awesome I'm going to go in and I'm going to tell them that this is my position that this is something that you know I desire and go in and pitch myself which is David said okay now Saul's gone but I'm actually going to do this I'm going to inquire upon the Lord if I should be anointed king even though he already was so it says in 2 Samuel 2 1 and um four, it happened after this that David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, where shall I go up? And he said to Hebram. Then the men of Judah came and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Now listen to that conversation that he's having with the Lord. He goes before the Lord. He already knows the what but he's saying, tell me how, tell me where, tell me when, and so he's looking and he's leaning on the Lord, not just for the what, but he said, look, I'm not just going to take the what and then say, thanks, I've got it from here. I got the promise. Thanks. I got that, God. I'm going to handle it from here. But he said, no, I've got the promise. Now I'm going to continue to lean on the Lord for the details. You know, they say the devil's in the details, right? It couldn't be more true. Presumption says, I know how to fulfill the promise, when to fulfill the promise, where to fulfill the promise. You can agree with the prophetic word because you're like, yeah, that sounds good to me. Oh man, the impossible. I can believe you for the impossible. And then you leave God at the gate and you go into the city to fulfill the things that he wants to do for you and you lose him and he's still back at the gate. But you're in the city, usually making a mess of things. Can I get an amen? Amen. You know what I'm saying is true. So like David... He knew the what of God because he was after God's own heart. He refused to achieve the promises of God except by the ways of God. The what of God is like your priesthood and the way of God is like operating as a king. Let me repeat that. Look, you've got eyes and ears to see and hear what the spirit is saying. But I'm telling you that your feet and your mouth will get you into trouble if you don't keep leaning on the Lord and you will take yourself in the wrong direction. David relied on the spirit of God to get him to the promise and not in his own power, might, and strength. So, after David became king, he made several decisions that set him apart before God and man. Now, this is, this is a guy who God himself said is a man after my own heart, and he said that he made David for himself. He made David for himself. Think about that statement. So, what is the first thing that David does when he becomes king? Now, you're king. You've got all of the money in the nation at your disposal. There's no legislative branch. There's no Supreme Court or judicial branch. It's just you. It's like President Trump told the the president of China. He said, "So basically, you 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 are a monarchy, right?" And he goes, "No, no, no, no. no. We're not. I'm not a monarchy." And he goes. Well, anything that you say goes, and he goes, Well, yes, I am supreme commander. I am da 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 da. And, and Bush, uh, not Bush, um, Trump goes, Then that would make you king. You are king of China. And he's like, Yeah, you could be right. So David is king and he has absolute power. So if you have absolute power, it's like, Okay what am I going to do? What am I going to do? The first thing he does is he's like, I need to get that Ark of the Covenant back. We need to get the presence of God back into the city of God, back into the city of David. So he changed and he moved the capital to Jerusalem. Now the Ark of the Covenant had been lonely and had been sitting around for about 20 years. Um, And it was available when Saul was king, but Saul did not have a desire to bring the Ark of the Covenant anywhere. It never even entered his mind. He never even spoke about it. He never, Saul's king, and he doesn't even talk about the Ark of the Covenant. Think about that. And it stays holed up in somebody's house. Wait a minute, I have their name. I love these names. Nope. Abiba. Abnibdab. Okay, all you show offs. Okay. No, it's not at Obadiam's yet. That's coming. So. So anyway, there the Ark of the Covenant is, and David's like, i got to get that Ark. i got to get that Ark. Because again, he desires the presence of the Lord. The one thing that I desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, right? So the first thing he does as king is he says, hey, go get that Ark. Where are the Levites? Let's get the Levites. Let's get the singers. Let's get the musicians. And let's get a cart. Okay. So he he gets the he they put the ark of the covenant on a cart, and he's got his favorite priest Uzzah, the guy who's walking alongside of it. The cart does what? You know the story. The cart hits a pothole. David, first thing you should have done is repair the streets. So uh, it hits a pothole. The ark begins to fall. Uzzah grabs it. Bam! The Lord strikes him dead. And, and, and David's like, okay, time out because this isn't working. And he's mourning and grieving for his, his friend who is the priest. And, and, and he takes that, has them take the ark, of course, to another somebody else's house again. And so it's like, just let it be there until I can inquire upon the Lord. And so he does so. And what he says in 1 Chronicles 15 is really quite remarkable, because for the first time in David's life, he presumed on the how. He knew the what, but he presumed on the how. So let's read it. Uh, This is 1 Chronicles 15, verses 13, 14, 15, 16, 25, and 27. Okay, bear with me. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. Now, I want you to really let that soak in. We did not consult him about the proper order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the Ark of the the Lord, God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the Ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. And then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, and cymbals by raising their voice or raising the voice with resounding joy. We did that this morning. So David, the elders of Israel, and the captains over thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-edim, with joy. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who bore the ark, the singers, the mu- music master with the singers. You know that was really his name because, you know, he was the music master. Ch-na-na-na-na. Anyway, <clears throat> David wore a linen ephod. All right, so let's see how this all takes place. So the first time, he had the promise, and he's trying to get to the promise in his own strength. So he's trying to do it because his zeal went before him. His desire went before him. His motivations were pure. But yet the way that he was bringing it in was not his way. It was not the way of the Lord. And so the Lord had already told him, here's how you handle my ark. And so there were several things that they did, and this was the proper order. Number one, out of four, I know you love numbers. Number one, they sanctified themselves, which means they set themselves apart That means what comes into your eye gates and your ear gates, the things that you listen to, the things that you look at. You are a holy people set apart by God, not, you're supposed to be counterculture, not culture dwellers. Now listen, this is not about being legalistic. This is not about the law. This is not about religion. This is about love. Because love causes me to run to the cross and to be Christ-like, not world-like. Number two, followed the commandments of God. So he follows the commandments that were written by Moses. For us, not only is it, you know, Jesus came and he fulfilled the law, yes. But let me tell you something. There are still commandments that are available in the New Testament for us. If you love me, you will follow my commandments. So there are commandments of God that he has said, follow my ways, live in my ways, do it my way. Number three, he went through the gates of the city with thanksgiving, praise, and worship. So he understood that there had to be a sound from heaven to earth that preceded the presence of God. God inhabits the praises of his people. Very good. Okay, number four, David led through his office of both priest and king. So what does he do? He's the king, and he puts on the linen ephod. No, it's not underwear. He puts on the linen ephod, which the high priest would wear, and 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 he danced and ushered in the presence of the Lord as high priest and as the king. And so he had the full authority of God because he was operating in the government of the priest and he was operating in the government of the king. Therefore, he could usher in the presence of the Lord and the glory of God back to Israel. Amen. All right. Um... The Davidic leadership understands the importance of opening up heaven to earth through continual worship and prayer. The second thing that he did that was just so incredibly remarkable is the desire that he had. He goes about building his own house, and he's like, man, this house looks great. Everything's like feng shui, and I went, you know, I spared no expense, and here I am living in the high life of luxury, But the Ark of the Covenant's like in this tent in my backyard. And so he had it in his heart to build a house for the Lord. He loved God, and he wanted God to have a permanent home. Now, all of the years before God had been moved, his presence, the Ark had been moved from place to place to place to place. Follow the cloud by day and the fire by night because you're always moving. Think about that, about what that would, would be like. The second... Um, okay, so in Psalm 27.4, David continually wrote about the desire to be in the house of the Lord. 27.4, the one thing that I have desired that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire upon his temple. Psalm six eight. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Psalm 92.13, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. So David um, had this in his heart to build a house for the Lord. And so he tells his prophet, Nathan, he's just sharing with him. He says, you know, this is really something that I, I really desire to do. And Nathan is like, man, I didn't even think about that, but that sounds like an awesome idea. I think you should do that. And then he turns around to leave and the Lord stops Nathan in his tracks and he said, no, 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 no. I want you to go back and tell him he's not going to do that. And so in um, 1 Chronicles 17, verses 11 through 14, Nathan says this, And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I have set up a seed after you who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And I will not take my mercy away from him, as I took it from him who was before you. And I will establish him in my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. And so David hears this, and he's thinking to himself, I mean, I can only imagine Think about the gravity of what he was just said. He he wants to he wants to build a house. See, you in your heart, you're so gripped with love and zeal for God that you want to build a house for him. You're like, Lord, I want to build you a house. I want to do something for you. But the Lord is saying to each one of us, just as he said to David, no, I I'm gonna, I'm the, the master builder, I'm the master craftsman, I'm the greatest architect in the universe. And I'm going to actually build your house. If you will worship me, if you will follow my commandments and you will walk in my ways, watch as I build your house for you. And this is while you're still this side of heaven. Yes, there is an eternal home waiting for you. There is a mansion waiting for you. But there is a home in God and he's developing and he is, he is making your house, your temple, your human body, his home. And he said that, that, that it will never end and your home in Christ will be eternal. Think about that. Think about that for a minute. And David is so gripped by this reality that God would want to build him a house. Not only is he going to build him a house, but he said that your sons and your sons son and your sons son will sit on my uh, the, the throne in my house for all eternity. So Christ came through the seed of David and it's called the throne of David that he Jesus is seated on David's throne. That's how much God said, I love you. And I'm going to do this for you. For all eternity, you will be known to have a throne that my son sits on. And Jesus legislates all of earth through David's throne. Then David, uh, well, and so he's like, okay, well, that's kind of a bummer, but yet very good, but what part can I play? So again, he's asking, you know, I, I, I want to do something. I've got to be able to do something. I know that you said that, that I can't do it, that you're going to build my house, but, but what part can I play? And so he began to gather all of the uh, elements that were needed for the house. He began to gather the cedar, the, the iron for, the, for the, uh, the door hinges, for uh, the, the gold, the stones, everything that was going to be needed for God's house. From every part of the earth that he could find it, he's bringing in everything that's needed to build God's house. Turning your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 22. So David is is old now and he's at the end of his life. And he's he's gathered all of these everything that's needed to build the house of the Lord. And and the whole um all of, of of chapter 22 is David giving instructions to his son. So he's talking to Solomon and he's telling Solomon everything he's done. And the most remarkable thing about this entire chapter and there's 19 verses is that within this as he's giving instruction to his son before he goes home to be with his fathers, right? Only two verses are about the nation of Israel and and following the commandments of the Lord. 17 out of the 19 verses where he's instructing his son is instructing him about how to build the house of the Lord. Think about that. how incredibly profound that is, that David had an understanding of the importance of of a sound from heaven to earth. And he said, listen, not only am I going to tell you these things, Solomon, because he said in in verse um, 5, now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced in the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all the countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David went about abundant preparations before his death. Then he called his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you and you shall, he shall be a man of rest." And I will give him rest from all of his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, which by the way means peace. For I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of the kingdom over Israel forever. And so he said that Solomon, only if you are in rest can you participate in building the house of the Lord? And that goes back to the book of Hebrews. So it's all connected. But I'm going to tell you this. These things you cannot do in your strength and your might. Everything that the Lord was showing us cannot be done. David's leadership is perfect for us today because he showed us and displayed how to inquire upon the Lord. The last thing that he did is he said, I want to appoint and hire 4,000 singers and musicians that day and night, night and day, the sound of rejoicing and the sound of praise and the sound of worship will not leave the land. Again, he understood the sound has to go before the presence. The sound has to come up out of the house of God. The sound has to be present in the city in order for the city to prosper. The sound opens portals over the city where angels can ascend and descend. The sound releases authority and power that heaven is speaking and earth will respond. The sound created the greatest that Israel has ever known in all of history, God's chosen people, they were great because the sound and the presence and the voice of the Lord was in their midst. And as I said, I believe that this this is an example for us today that we too can glean from all of what David did, the importance of having a sound available, the importance of worship and prayer, the importance of houses of prayer in the earth that are beginning to shake loose, uh, all principalities, powers, and spiritual, uh, and, and demons in spiritual places. And I believe that that's what we're seeing happening right now in America right now. I believe that America has been given the key to the house of David, that we are beginning to open what no man can shut. And we're beginning to shut what no man can open. That through the sound being released, and there is a, there is a house of prayer in every city in America almost. I'm telling you, they are are so plentiful. So what's happening is the sound from heaven is flooding into the United States of America, and it's loosing the dark places, which means that they are beginning to be uncovered so that we can see and begin to hit them in prayer and declare the word of the Lord over these dark places so that they can be unseated and God can put in the place his apostles and prophets in these high places. Amen? So that's why you see so many people misbehaving. When people begin to manifest, don't get nervous. It's actually good because someone's about to lose their job and it's usually a demon. Okay? So we need to start celebrating when we see things being shaken because he said, I'm going to shake everything that can be shaken so that they can come to the desire of all nations so they can come to Jesus. And that's what we're here for. You guys are catchers. You know, when these guys start falling in the pond, you just get a net and start scooping them up. Say, yeah, I know, I know. Don't worry, it's a demon. I can get rid of that for you. All right, let's pray.